1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. The focus of our message today is found in verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The title is Vacancy. This particular passage, as we've mentioned each time, is filled with imperatives instructing us of what we should do. The parallel passage to this is Romans chapter 12. If you read Romans 12, you'll see that Paul covers this exact same material, but broadens it. Whereas, for example, Peter only mentions a couple of spiritual gifts, kind of a major division between speaking and serving, the ministry of the word and the ministry of mercy. Um, Paul outlines a longer list of spiritual gifts and ministries. And so it is even with hospitality. We are exhorted by all the apostles to show hospitality. Jesus himself gave instructions to his disciples with respect to hospitality. In fact, it is an absolute imperative that the people of God be the household of God and they be an hospitable people. That is, people who are willing to take in the stranger. Literally, the word that is used is a word that comes from two very familiar words we know. It is philozenoi. Put those two together. Get the accents just right on the syllable and you've got it. I won't even try to do it. But philo, we know, means to love. Philadelphia means brotherly love. A philanthropist is someone that loves humanity and gives generously to uh, various uh, elimocenary causes and charities Well, this is the love of the stranger, the alien, the foreigner, especially those that are not known to you very well. It is the love of them, and we know from studying the Bible that the love is not just an emotion, but it is an action, it is a behavior. It's a whole panorama of ways to treat people. Paul outlines this in 1 Corinthians 13 quite thoroughly. It is a others preferring, deferring, long-suffering, mediating set of actions. We saw a couple of weeks ago in the sermon that love covers a multitude of sins. It is love that tends to overlook and to forgive and to allow 
for others in their shortcomings and in their misbehaviors. And so we're told how that kind of attitude, that Christian love, that 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love for the stranger, the alien. Now, this is uh, very important to the work of the ministry because the churches to whom Peter addresses this letter were not well-developed here in what must be about the mid-60s, first century, about the middle of the, of the seventh decade there in the first century. Peter writing this letter, probably from Rome, but, but wherever he's writing it from, he writes to the churches that are to the east, to those provinces of Asia, known as Galatia, Bithynia, Pontus, Cappadocia. Now, those areas went on to have in the second and especially in the third and fourth century, some of the most outstanding bishops, especially in Cappadocia. We have the, the, uh, the fathers, the Gregories of that, outstanding theologians. They're known for their famous councils, Council of Nicaea and many others that took place in that region. But in this early generation, the nascent church had a need to be connected to have networks between them because most of the churches were small household operations or very uh, small groups of people that would meet in a locale. So they had to be pretty much together in um, spirit only by the connectedness between them. And the thing that connected these loosely networked family household church fellowships were those that traveled between the two. The itinerant preachers, the missionaries, the prophets that would circulate among them. And there was a, a great uh, need for hospitality here in these humbly organized churches. Well, Jesus had instructed his disciples in all four gospels, you'll find large passages in all four gospels where Jesus gives some instruction to his disciples in what to do. He tells them how to carry very sparse provisions because you'll be taken care of where you go. He tells them that they are to go and they are to preach. They're not to carry a lot of extra baggage with them. They are to preach and teach and fellowship where they are received because if someone receives the disciples, it is though they have received the Lord and they are to stay where they are to be, but not to stay long, but to move along. And the very emphasis that Jesus gives in his great commission is there's an assumption that they're going to be moving, that they're going to go, they're going to travel, they're going to go from place to place. In fact, the very tense of the verb in the great commission is not go ye therefore in the sense of going is the important thing. The main verb there is make disciples. The language is, as you go, make disciples of all nations. So the assumption is you're going to be going. You're going to be moving around. And this, of course, is how the gospel spread in the first century, not by, only by the deliberate efforts of the, of the uh, preachers and the evangelists, but also the couriers that carried the, the letters and the mail and the communications from church to church to church, from province to province, over the whole earth. In fact, the Lord had told them that they would be commanded to go. He put this in another place where he said, you will be my witnesses. Quoting from Isaiah, the Lord says, I need a witness. 
That's what Isaiah says in his prophet. I, I, the Lord needs a witness. And Jesus says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses. And you'll be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. The church was not to remain in Jerusalem. Christianity was not to just squat on the throne of the capital homeland. It was to move throughout the nations. And the word that's used in the Great Commission is the word ethne, which means the ethnic groups, the people groups. And that's how the Word of God has always gone. It's gone through ethnic groups, language groups, family groups, tribal groups. Some people get kind of upset when they see the church segregated along ethnic lines or racial lines or, or maybe along socioeconomic lines. And they say, this is a, a poor testimony for the church. Well, if that is a forced thing, if that's a result of hatred and prejudice and rejection, it is a bad thing. But if it is a, the result of the natural love lines that flow, when we hear the gospel and believe it, we want those that we love most to hear it. And that's the way the gospel has spread from the very beginning. F.F. Bruce in his book, The Sp Spreading Flame, the story of the spread of the gospel throughout the world is uh, remarkably like that. It's people taking the gospel to their people, their friends and their loved ones who are in another locale and it beginning to spread and to infect various diverse ethnic groups and tribal regions of the world. There's not any restriction upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to be proclaimed to the world. There's no ethnic group. There's no socioeconomic group. There is no family. There's no kindred, tribe, nor nation that is prohibited from the gospel. The gospel is designed to restore God's people. At Babel in the ancient world, the people gathered together to worship a false God falsely and to create a reputation, a gospel. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's have a message to proclaim. Let's have a slogan. Let's have a logo. Let's have an identity. Let's have a brand. But it was not God's brand. It was not God's identity. So God scattered them and changed their language so that there now would be difficulties amongst the peoples and the tribes of the earth. And they couldn't do that which they had ambitiously tried to do. And that was reach heaven some way other than the vertical rise of the cross. So now the gospel era has come. In the Old Testament, the prophets had always looked forward to a day, a season, the day of the Lord, the day of God's visitation. And now God had visited His people in Jesus Christ. And that message was to be proclaimed. The letters were to be circulated. And the declaration of Isaiah was to be fulfilled. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of those that preach the good news, the gospel watching the courier make its way around the mountain, running with that pace, feet churning forward, one step at a time, moving the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth. Now this particular logistic was made possible by 
hospitality. God's people were instructed to receive those evangelists, couriers, preachers, heralds who came. And the itinerant ministry of Paul is, is we've given just almost a step-by-step account in the book of Acts of the missionary journeys of, of Paul in the early part of Acts, even Peter, and to some extent Philip, given us the, the outgoing of Judea with James and Jerusalem, and then Samaria with Philip in his ministry there, and then Peter going out further, and then Paul eventually taking the gospel. And interestingly, the narrative ends with Paul in the imperial capital of Rome. So this, this, this need to push the gospel out and to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth was facilitated by a Christian grace, and it was the grace of hospitality, that capacity to receive someone that you do not know very well, to receive someone who comes with a prima facie message saying, I bear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I bear a letter from one of his apostles, Peter or Paul or John or whomever, and to receive them into the fellowship of the household church and to have them remain there to share what they know. It's interesting that uh, uh, the Didache, one of the earliest pieces of writing that we have in the church, uh, spells out kind of the ways in which you can detect a false prophet. A false prophet will come to you as a stranger, and of course you are to receive him. But a false prophet will ask for money. <laughs> false prophet will ask for money, and a false prophet will stay over two nights. <laughs> Spelled out right there in the Didache. The idea, of course, is that the minister, the authentic minister, is to preach the gospel without price and to preach the gospel without cost to the hearers of the gospel. And then to stay more than two nights is a sign that he's not moving along with the gospel message, but he is just uh, taking advantage of your good nature. And that's why I think the... the um, Admonition is given that we are to um, uh, show hospitality to one another. That's the, the unity of the faith. And by the way, that's the way the unity of the faith was expressed in the ancient day is that this connectedness between the house churches with these letters, these couriers and these evangelists and these, these uh, itinerant ministers that went from one place to another, from one house to another, from one country to another. It says... Uh, uh, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why would you grumble? Well, you grumble if you feel like you're being taken advantage of. And that's what you would see in those that were not sincerely on the mission. If someone is on a mission, he doesn't tarry too long in one place. He moves along. If you would eat too much, it is the, the ancient world was full of hospitality um, culture. Uh, the ancient Israelites had one that was, uh, goes back to Abraham himself. You remember Abraham entertained strangers in his home uh, there uh, in uh, the ancient land of Canaan. He 
saw them coming. He took them in. He fed them. He gave them a wonderful meal. In fact, it was kind of a communion, if you'll read it very carefully. And uh, there was a time of fellowship. And we learned from that that these, these emissaries that had come to his home were not just a couple of ancient Near Eastern pilgrims, but instead they were messengers from the Lord. The Lord himself was communicating and visiting Abraham, and Abraham received them. It wasn't just the Israelite culture, it was the ancient culture throughout. Rahab, you remember, in the story of, of uh, the uh, fall of Jericho, received the spies. These were aliens, these were strangers. She received them into her home and took care of them and did what was necessary to enable them to complete their mission and to move on through the, um, the land and to get back home. There is a civility, there is a class. The Greeks had this, the Romans, uh, the Egyptians, different cultures had this strong view of receiving others and taking care of them as an act of hospitality. And it was a severe abuse of that privilege that was considered a great sin. In fact, you remember how Lot was treated in Sodom. There was an abuse, a serious abuse of the hospitality granted to Lot and his family as he was sojourning in, in Sodom. You remember the story, and I say you remember the story, I bet most of you don't because it's not an easy story to remember. And when you read it once, you don't want to read it again. But there's a story in Judges 9 about a man who was traveling and went into a home and he was severely, severely mistreated by the neighbors there in that home. And it became a scandal in, uh, in Israel. In fact, it became such a scandal that the tribe of these, these offenders that offended the hospitality uh, with this man and his uh, concubine and, and, and the, the, the details there, you can read them for yourself. I don't even hardly want to recount them. It was an awful, awful thing that happened. But the, but the ramifications of that was that the tribe of Benjamin became an outcast tribe and, and there was a war against Benjamin. And it's, that's why Benjamin remained from that moment on the smallest of all the tribes of Israel is that they had suffered repercussions of this severe abuse of hospitality. So it's a very serious thing the way we are received and the way we are, um, are treated in moving people along. And the, and the whole import of this is that ultimately this, this granting and receiving of hospitality is a picture of God's work. It's a picture of God's work. That is, we were at one time aliens. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We were outside the covenant that God had made with Abraham. We were strangers to the covenant of promise. The covenant of promise is Christ. We were strangers to Christ. Paul fills this in. He says, we were without God without hope in the world. Well, we were in the world, we were part of the human population, but we were outside the favor of God, outside the lines that God had chosen through Abraham and his descendants to bring salvation and blessing to the world. We were foreigners and aliens from that. But God visited us. 
He visited us in the flesh. He visited us in the incarnation, in Christ, who was not just the son of David, the seed of Abraham, but he was a descendant of Adam. He was the second Adam. He was the restored humanity. He was the new race. And when God visited us, He brought us into His household. He had a son. And in that son, He brought many sons to glory. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. God has visited us and we are to receive whosoever receives Him. To Him gave He power to become the sons of God. We are to receive Him unto ourselves in faith, in trust, in dependence, in loyalty, in obedience. We are to receive the Son. There's a vacancy. The vacancy is there's room for one more. There's always room for one more. A pastor from Fort Worth about 50 or 60 years ago wrote a song called There's Room at the Cross for You. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you.